Hi everyone, I'm Angelo Luciani and welcome to the Nutanix Community Podcast. This is where the community converges to stay informed, learn about our latest developments, and get to know folks inside Nutanix. With Log4j in the news, I thought we'd bring on a couple of security and networking folks from Nutanix to talk about it. This week we have Eric Hammersley and Jason Burns, who will give you some insight into how we are managing the Log4j vulnerability. Let's join the discussion. Well, today we have some somber news or exciting news. It really depends where you are in the IT stack, I would say. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the Log4j vulnerability, which is uh, just new on the street, I guess, from a from a known aspect. Um, and with us today to talk about it, we have Eric Hammersley uh, from Nutanix and also colleague Jason Burns. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, Wayne. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having us. Um, I know, actually, I'm not, I can't remember now. I gotta, I'm getting old and gray hair. I don't, I can't remember if Eric's been on or not, but I know Jason has been before. Uh, so maybe we'll just start with Eric, uh, what do you do at Nutanix? Uh, sure. I don't think I have been on before, so this is my inaugural showing. Uh, so my name is Eric Hammersley. I, I run the product security and compliance organization here at Nutanix within engineering. Um, I've been here for quite a while, six, seven years now. My my goal, my job every day is the security of our products um, the application of good best practices, good development standards, and then of course the um, uh, connecting with the customers and the end users of our products, looking at their use cases, finding new ways to provide them, you know, secure products or or advantages uh, within their data centers and the use of our products from a security perspective. So, as you can imagine, pretty wide area of responsibility. But uh, my team covers all of our on-prem and SaaS-based products. Well, that that does not sound like a lot of free time. <laughs> no, I I don't have much free time. Oh man, especially probably not uh, recent news. But and Jason, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm a tech marketing engineer here at Nutanix, focusing on our AHV hypervisor and uh, our flow microsegmentation offering. So I'm usually helping people set up their AHV networking, getting their boxes plugged in, and then secondarily helping them set up firewall rules and micro-segmentation for all the VMs that are running on top of Nutanix. There's also quite a a bit in the scheme of things as well. Um, So we'll, I guess, get started with, uh, you know, what is Log4j? Why is this even in the news? Maybe we'll let Eric take the, the first crack at it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, Log J4 is a, a pretty standard, well-known logging engine for Java applications. Uh, it's been around a long time. Um, and it's, for the most part, most people simply just use it as a way to log messages from within their Java apps. Um, it, it most recently came into the news, uh, you know, early in December, Somewhere around the 8th or the 9th, I believe, of December was some of the first reported instances of seeing an exploitation against certain versions of that library. And essentially what it is, is um, as simply as I can put it, um, there's a flow in the way that Log4j and in the first CVE 
between versions, what is it, 2.0, beta 9 to 2.14.0, I believe. Um, it just allowed uh, a, an ex, uh, a remote individual or attacker to take control or to remotely execute commands by way of uh, a flaw in how LDAP and J, JNDI endpoints were managed within the library. Um, that was essentially what the issue there was. It was a CVSS uh, V3 score of 10, which made Ooh. it pretty interesting. Um, and usually like how many, how many tens would there be in a, a typical year? Uh, surprisingly, there's more tens than you realize. Yep. Scary enough. There are more tens than you realize. Um, there are very few tens that get this level of notoriety and media attention. Um, but you know, the notoriety and media attention comes with its own drawbacks as well. Uh, because of the complexity around how these things are are exploited or the attack vectors that that come into play as to, to how a, a remote attacker might exploit this vulnerability um, it's really hard to articulate a lot of times through through media you know, articles and explanations as to how it works because you basically have to have a really high level of knowledge uh, to even understand what they're trying to tell you goes on. So that's part of my team's job as well is to break down those messages and make them a little more consumable and understandable. Yeah. And like, is part of the, the notoriety is how easy it is to exploit. Is that part of the reason? Or we also do kind of live in a world where the news likes to run away with stories. So, <laughs> well, it, it's certainly a part of the notoriety is certainly around the, the ease of exploit. I mean, this is an exploit that really has a low bar of entry uh, for execution. Um, if you looked at some of the earlier news articles, you'd see that a lot of the early um, use of this was found on Minecraft forums, believe it or not. Individuals oh, were wow. using this exploit to, um, uh, to attack Minecraft servers, um, which, you know, is not a statement of, of, you know, experience or expertise because there certainly are very experienced and expertise and knowledgeable individuals in that area. Um, but it kind of speaks to the ease at which this was able to be performed. A lot of times exploits, even at the 10 level, um, you know, have a higher bar of entry. You have to have certain scenarios, certain, uh, you know, command and control type instances, certain places to send data to, you know, configurations and setups that the average individual just doesn't have. Um, and this one is different because you really don't need any of that. You just need a place to send data to exfil your information and you send a string and you get a stream of data back. And it's really that simple to do. And I think that fed in a lot to this in terms of, of the notoriety and the media impact, the media visibility of it. But that being said, like it's true in all data centers and all enterprise software applications that we use today, um, there is a difference between a system setting on the edge with internet access and a system setting within a protected enclave of your data center. There are differences between those two vectors and those two profiles. That doesn't make a, a 10.0 CVSS score any less painful. It doesn't take away the sting necessarily, but it does change the, the vector and the profile that you're looking at. Um, for, for example, 
Um, it, you know, if you're a company that's mainly centered on SaaS based products, you have a lot of SaaS uh, infrastructure, a lot of products that you serve customers with from a SaaS perspective. Those products are sitting on the edge. They're out on the internet. So where that's how customers interface with them. I guess um, at some, at some level too, you're, you're dependent on how fast they, those services can be protected. Uh, you certainly are. I mean, there are mechanisms in place today that have been around for years that are just good standard practice for software companies to do, such as web application firewalls uh, and, and good solid monitoring and protection of your endpoints that uh, did help mitigate this vulnerability for a lot of people that had those things in place. For instance, here at Nutanix, um, we made a concerted effort many, many years ago to put web application firewalls in front of all of our SaaS products. And um, we just so happened to use a web application firewall that is very attentive to the vectors present present in the on the internet and were able to adjust and um, acclimate to this vulnerability in real time to where we were able to block the attempts to um, leverage this vector against our SaaS products. And that, that put us that put us on even footing, very solid ground when this broke last uh, Thursday or Friday uh, in terms of out of the box being able to, to really stop a lot of the attack vectors against those SaaS products. Yeah, I can I can remember a lot of uh, when I was working with Xileap going through the, the productions we had online to protect that service. Um, I guess maybe Jason, what you know, what are other these good networking practices also <laughs> are, yeah, are, yeah. are always going to help you out quite a bit. But I mean, Eric is is right on mentioning that web application firewall that's sitting in front, sitting at the north south border, the boundary of of your network. And then other practices just come down to segmentation within your network, right? So let's say that you stand up your your web service internally. Uh, does that web service really need an unfettered outbound internet access? Or does that internal web service really need to be accessed from every corporate desktop that's plugged into your network? So that's where the idea of internal zones and segmentation uh, really come into play from both a network design and a security design point of view. Um, because, you know, as, as uh, the attack vector was mentioned is you need to get some data into the system so that it gets logged and picked up by the vulnerable code. And then the the next part of this attack chain is that the vulnerable code reaches out somewhere on the internet or somewhere to an attacker-controlled server and pulls back and executes some code that came from a remote source. So there's really two halves to that, right? The first half is you can protect on that inbound web application firewall but just through some good data center design or some additional firewall settings, you could uh, potentially lock down the outbound side of that as well. So there are a couple different places uh, where, where you have a chance to mitigate this. I haven't like, I don't deal with a lot of customers that block outbound, uh, like, you know, healthcare, federal, like, you know, the vast majority have that wide open. So maybe we'll see a lot different <laughs> take in the future about outbound access and I guess the the tools that make that easier will start to come a little bit more prevalent I guess yeah uh, we all know that 
the the goal, the nirvana of of the IT security guy, from my perspective, is to be able to have absolute control inbound and outbound for your application, right? Uh, but that's a guy in the basement or gal. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> it, it's a stretch goal, right? Because you have to uh, you have to do a lot of work to restrict and control all of your outbound traffic. So then, you know, another backup option that you've got is monitoring in addition to that. So maybe you can't restrict or control everything, but you could at least get some insights into what's happening on the network. Um, uh, for, for instance, you know, Cloudflare did some reporting saying that uh, they went back and looked at previous logs and found previous versions of this exploit because they're able to just go back and say, oh, I can search all the records and here's where it happened or here's where it didn't. That kind of additional security brings a lot of comfort to uh, to an organization. Well, it's like it, they, you know, when it was reported and when it's been sitting dormant for a long time, you know, I'm sure there's probably a long history of people running wild with it <laughs> before the general population knew about it. But it's probably, you know, true with a lot of things. But before, before maybe we talk about how we can protect it within, you know, outside of uh, web application firewalls. What do we have any products that we really need to push customers towards in patching or be mindful of? Yeah, I mean, so there, there, I mean, there's two main ways that most vendors today are dealing with this, um, and, and we're no different, uh, and, and both are extremely valid in approach. Uh, the one method is, of course, uh, patching, uh, patching the affected libraries and shipping new versions of product with those libraries patched or removed entirely uh, if they are unnecessary. And the other way forward is mitigation and, and mitigating the issue can take on a few forms. And I can talk about that as we kind of go through the product list. Uh, I mean, most importantly, for most most of our customers, AHV, ALS, Prism Central. Those are the big things that they're they're looking to us to, for for guidance on how we're addressing this. Um, the The great thing is is AHV uh, from a hypervisor perspective not impacted at all by this, and mainly that's because AHV doesn't use Java. God we bless. Don't, we don't have a reason <laughs> to use Java, and and I'm all for any place I could not use Java. Um, so it doesn't have Java in place. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but. Um, uh, in fact, AHV, we all we all have our war wounds. It's okay. Yeah, it's it's fine. We wouldn't be human if we didn't have strong opinions for something. Um, AHV is is clear and good to go here. There's we're not using Java there. We're not used so we're not using the Log4j library, and, and that's really actually a, an interesting point to this too. Is is that I've been getting questions the entire week? Is this affected? Is that affected? Um, and it's important to note that Java is the player here, right? So there's no reason to use log4j, log for logging for Java, if you're not using Java. Um, so there's a lot of products that of ours that are not impacted by this, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we don't use Java in some and of those you, products. If you've used Linux, though, you know, or even Windows, whatever you grab a, a server OS and then you just install everything because you don't want to deal with it. So I'm sure there's lots of stories like that, <laughs> that it, too, it, that have caused it, concern. There's no question. I mean, Java's everywhere, right? And, and, and as a language, uh, 
to, to build a system, a service, an application upon, it's just fine. I mean, it, it's fine. A lot of people use it. Um, and it is everywhere. So it's, it's definitely a pretty serious issue. But AHV, you know, we're good to go there. Now, AOS is a little bit of a different story, but it's a different story with a twist. Um, and the twist here is actually, uh, and I'm sure the listeners uh, understand or, or know the release trains that we do with AOS from a long-term support and a short-term support uh, perspective. Um, and the long-term supported versions of AOS uh, today are not impacted by this either. Um, and that's because we're not shipping um, Log4j 2.0 beta 9 to 2.14.1 on that, on that platform. So if you're on an LTS, AOS, not a concern. Now, if you're on STS, uh, this is where the twist comes in. It actually is impacted, but it's impacted with it, with it, with an explanation. Um, we were, we're getting ready to ship a feature uh, in 6.1, uh, our new version, uh, that'll be coming out at the beginning of the year. And as such, we staged part of that feature. And the staging of part of that feature had the vulnerable library in it. It's not running. It's not doing anything. It's just staged, uh, which means AOS STS really isn't impacted per se because the library isn't listening or processing or doing anything. Sure. We're but just being good, yes. good uh, citizens, I guess, informing yes. that it is there. Se security is about risk and perception, um, the perceived risk and the actual risk. Um, so we're working on releasing um, an SDS version 6.0.2.4 or 6.0.2.4. I like to jam it all together um, it, it, to, to remove the library. Uh, it's not being used. It's not processing anything, but we're getting it off there anyway. Uh, and that's about perception and peace of mind. If we just get it off the platform, there's no concern whatsoever. Um Prison Central, though, is is where we really felt the impact. And that's because we're using the Log4j2 libraries on Prism Central. Um, we're using it uh, in a couple of different places, and we're working, we're working very rapidly um, around the clock to get a new version of Prism Central released. Uh, and if you look at our security advisors, you'll see that that is um, 2021.9.0.3 is our target for that. And it's coming along. It's in testing. It's, uh, um, we're, we're working on that to get that out to, to, to everyone. And so they can, they can patch and have a good holiday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the flip side is, you know, you can't, you can't rush the patch and cause something else to go, you know, belly up too. So, so I, it's a great point. Let's just spend a second on that. So it, it is, it is important to understand that you know, patching a software product is not like patching your, your Windows gaming PC or, or your phone. You know, it's a little bit different. When, when you, when you get a, a library to switch, you just click a button and it installs it and you're good to go. Patching software is more complicated. Um, especially when you're talking about support libraries like this, right? It's Cause they're embedded within other tools that are embedded within other tools that are part of a feature or a product. So you really got to dig deep. And you really got to look at the interactions between them and how you can uh, patch the affected library and not impact performance or reliability or feature or operation. So it takes a little bit of time to look through all of that stuff and to get it right. Because while not patching is not an option, patching and breaking everything is also not an option. 
Uh, and so it takes a little bit of time to get there. So we, we have a good network design. We have, you know, third party mitigations with web application firewalls. Uh, Jason, what can we do within our own stack to help, uh, you know, lessen the burden? And yeah, so Eric has done an awesome job and, and his team is doing an amazing job um, updating everyone on the impacted Nutanix software and, and basically keeping people informed. And then uh, where I come in is to help people who are running virtual applications on top of Nutanix. You know, maybe you have a virtual machine appliance running that hasn't been updated or that comes from another vendor that doesn't have an update yet. Uh, what we can do is help with Nutanix flow and micro segmentation. So you can apply firewall rules to any virtual machines that you're concerned about. And you could even apply those in a monitoring mode or an enforcing mode to give you those isolated zones to protect that VM while you're working on getting it patched. And that sort of protection is, is really up to you, the administrator. You know, our, our recommendation would be to isolate that VM as much as possible while you're working on patching it. But if for some reason you need to allow inbound ports because uh, it runs a critical service, you could leave it open on just that critical service and isolate the outbound side so that it's not able to reach unknown destinations. And then, of course, the uh, the option, if, if you can't isolate on the inbound or you can't isolate on the outbound, you could turn this on in a monitoring mode so that you get more information, you know, written out to a syslog server that your team can pour through later to see what's happening. Uh, you could use the, the monitoring aspect of this as well. And that's part of a, a defense in depth strategy, you know, if, uh, so that you have all these tools at your disposal so that you can sleep better at night. I, you know, I think the, the mitigation, you know, having those pieces in place for long term, like, you know, just like Intel, like when Intel went through all those vulnerabilities, like this is probably like a, and I'm stealing it from an internal channel, but it was so spot on. It's like a cockroach, right? Like you see one, but there's probably a whole, <laughs> a whole yeah. wall full of these things just waiting to come out and you'll probably be patching for a while. So it's why the, the it's a best practice to begin with in the first place. It's why the, you know, the uh, terms like zero trust security and these sorts of security architectures are the goal of your administrators, you know, because we understand that something like this could come along and you'd want to have a, a tight handle on all those pieces of your application. I think it's covered covered it pretty well here, but where can Nutanix customers go to to stay informed? Is it just on the portal.nutanix or is there somewhere else? Uh, so that's a great question. Um, the first thing everyone should do is uh, if you are a Nutanix customer is log into the My Nutanix portal, go into your settings, go into your preferences and make sure you are opt-in you are opted in to security advisories. That way you can be sure that when there is a security advisory posted, you will get an email and you will get notification on the portal. That's the number one thing you need to do. Make sure you're getting those emails. Uh, the second thing is uh, within the portal, under the, the documentation section, you'll see a security section, and that is where you'll see the advisories. Uh, security Advisory 23 is the one that covers this event. 
Um, and there is an update to that advisory at the moment, at least once per day. Uh, I, yesterday, I believe I had three or four updates to it um, within the day. <laughs> wow. Uh, but it is, it, is, it is kept up to date, um, and it is full of all of the information that you need. Of course, our excellent support team is fully uh, engaged and involved. They have um, not only the advisory information, but uh, downloads from me and my team every day as to exactly where we stand, what we're working on, and what the status is. And our support team also gets to see the work that the engineering team is doing firsthand and the effort being put forth. So the support team is also a great avenue for customers to take if they have concerns or questions uh, to get more details. Uh, so that that's that pretty much rounds it out. I mean, you're going to get a lot of detail from those things, and we're very transparent and open and quick to update and provide information as 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 it becomes available. Jason, did you have anything closing to add to that? Yeah, I mean, that security advisory is a fantastic place to go. Um, and I love that Eric and the team are keeping a, a very transparent revision history so you can track our progress and, you know, how little his team has been sleeping by the quantity of updates that come through there while we uh, figure this all out. I, I even record the mistakes in the revision history. Um, because like, I think a couple of days ago, I broke all the links in the advisory and I put it in the revision history, uh, broke the links. Now the links are fixed. So yeah, it's a really good way of looking at it. I always wanted to call you Eric the Hammer Hammersley, but now I'm just gonna have to call you Eric the Honest Hammersley. Hey, uh, you know, it, it's every single one of us in the industry are in this together. Uh, and the, the, our customers are facing issues within their enterprise that they want to get fixed, just like we have servers in our own enterprise that we want to get fixed. Um, the best way to do this is transparency, openness, lots of information, discussions, questions uh, to get towards the same goal. Um, so that's what I encourage my team to do. And that's what we do here at Nutanix is, is, is that very approach to everything. So I love it. Well, I would encourage our listeners to definitely check out those resources and, and make sure you're getting the, the notifications. I would also encourage you to check out the TechBite channel on youtube.com uh, with Nutanix. Uh, some great resources and, you know, probably even see some videos of Jason lurking around explaining yeah, how to... Yeah, you should search uh, <laughs> there for the flow quick start guide. It'll get you set up doing some flow micro segmentation. There you go. And then also, if you want to chat with other like-minded Nutanix individuals, check out the Nutanix community forum. Uh, a lot of great resources there. And uh, uh, if you're having an issue or a problem, you're probably not the only one. And so uh, if, you're not, <laughs> if you're not up for dealing with support right away, you can definitely go uh, get, air your grievances and get some help. Uh, so thanks uh, both Eric and Jason for coming today and, and informing us. And um, we'll see you again. Thank you. Remember, you can watch on-demand sessions if you go to Nutanix.com forward slash next. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. And if you haven't already done so, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. So with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week. Music.